You're listening to Rally DNA. for part two of our chat with Ryan Champion. Please enjoy. Going back to the, uh, the mid-noughties, um, the, you went from the Puma to the, the, the Evo era, um, I guess it would be fair to call it, um, your, your spells with the Mitsubishi Evo Challenge. Did you view that at the time as the, the next step up uh, into the WRC, ideally, or was it a means to an end? Um. I think it was just, again, you know, as we talked about, it was what was the realistic option. So at the end of 2003, you know, I wasn't in a position to raise a budget to run a Super 1600 car again for for 2004. Um, So what what were the options? And and the really, the one make championship that... uh, well, really, I mean, it wasn't until 2005 that I really looked at the one make side of it because 2004, I really didn't get anything sorted. Um, you know, that just didn't really raise any money. Uh, I've always hated raising money anyway. I've always hated asking for money. And um, yeah, 2004, I actually ended up with um, an Evo 6, quite a good Evo 6. Uh, it was a, a next David Sutton uh, Group N Evo 6, which had just actually come from Niall McShade, been using it. So we ended up with that in, in 2004, which was still a good car. It was an older Group N car by then, but it was a well-built car. It was quite a well-sorted car. Um, and uh, did, um, yeah, did the Pirelli rally, I think, that year and managed to roll on the first stage in the dark, which which wasn't the best start. Um, so ended up... Um, we finished the rally, but the car wasn't in in the greatest of shape, and it, it took a while to get it back together. So, didn't end up doing a lot with that. We won the cold quick rally, I think, that year with it. Um, we were going quite well on the track road, and then we had the rear diff broke or something. So, it yeah, two thousand and four was a was a bit of a write off. But then for two thousand and five, it was like, well, okay, we've got the car. Why don't we maybe have a look at the Evo Challenge? Um, took it to Bournemouth broke a rear suspension arm, retired. And it was just like, yeah, it's not really going very well with this car. Um, so we, w- we went to the Border Counties the second round and I think we were, we went all right there. We just missed out on the win, I think. I think we finished second, if I remember rightly. Um, and then, I can't remember if I went to... I, I, third rally. Second in class, yeah. Yeah, and then I think the next rally might have been the, the Manx National. And, and by that time, um, the the team that were looking after the car, MSR, just built a new Evo 8 for a customer. And Mark at MSR took this customer into loaning me it for the Manx. And uh, and we and we won the Manx National in it. Um, so that was it. Then a deal was done to to carry on the year with the, the Evo 8. So the, uh, the Evo 6 was kind of pensioned off. I think we ended up hiring it out a couple of times. But, um, yeah, we finished the year in the Evo 8. And um, it's, uh, again, that... 
the Evo Challenge at the time was quite interesting because it goes back to the story about, you know, the mapping of the cars and what fuel you're running and all that. There was a few more variables in the Evo Challenge, but but the good thing was it was a new car, it was strong, it was reliable. Um, and we uh, we ended up in a fairly strong position sort of midway through the season and just didn't, we just needed solid results then, which thankfully uh, I was able to do. And, and that, that not only obviously won the Evo Challenge, but that was then a factory drive for, for 2006. And that was the reason for doing the, the Evo Challenge again, was to look at, it was a step back to one mate rallying, but there was something at the end of it. So it was a one mate championship. There was prize money again, and uh, and the factory drive at the end of it. And you know, thankfully, two thousand and five worked out, and and ended up with a, a brand new factory car for two thousand and six. How how did it feel in terms of how you had to adjust your driving style going from the likes of you know a crazy, screaming, high revving super sixteen hundred car sequential box back but not not back as it were but into an a, you know a four wheel drive group in very production based um competition once again um i think by that time i had pretty good experience you know i'd done quite a lot of rallies by then in quite a, a number of different cars so i don't really remember it um being a big issue going back and if anything like I said, the experience at the time was I'd done quite a lot of rallies and was able to jump in a car and and go. And and that Evo 6, despite maybe not bringing the best of results, it was a good car to drive. And they had dog boxes by then. Okay, it wasn't sequential, but you did have a dog box, so you could um, you, know, you could maybe drive it a bit harder than than you would have done previously, like on gravel. You didn't need to use the clutch to come down the box. and um, They felt a bit more proper by that time. They weren't like the Group N cars that, you know, we were driving, or I was driving in the in the late nineties. It, it felt a bit; they were a bit better sorted by then. Um, but uh, it was the weight, really. I mean, to answer your question, the weight is what you notice going back to those because when you when you're driving something that's two wheel drive and relatively lightweight, to to going back to a an Evo, particularly by the time the Evo eights and nines came along, you know, they were pretty heavy cars. Um, whereas the Evo threes and well, particularly the Evo three. Uh, the Evo 4 seemed heavy at the time, but compared to the 8s and 9s, you know, they, they were quite heavy cars. And, I mean, 2006, what a year. Um, it, fantastic results, obviously, second at the end. Um, is that a year you look back as uh, with as one of the, the highlights of your career at the time? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say it was. I mean, with hindsight, finishing second in the British Championship was annoying. <laughs> um, obviously, it would have been nice to have, have won a British Championship. Um, and unbeknown to me, that was really my one shot at winning the British Championship. We won three out of the six rounds. Um, unfortunately, I made two mistakes. One, I could have probably got away with, but but I did make two. Um, both on wet tarmac, which uh, without trying to defend myself. We'd never tested on wet tarmac with a car. And, and I'd just say we we struggled a little bit for setup on wet tarmac. And, um, you know, that lost us the championship. But yeah, nonetheless, I mean, you, you look back and the Pirelli rally was the first rally of the year. Um, it was billed as the, the battle of the seven former British champions. Um, and, you know, when you've got Mark Higgins, Alistair McRae, Johnny Milner, Tapio Laukinen, Martin Rowe, David Higgins, et cetera, et cetera, all in 
you know, pretty similar group end cars. Uh, and then there were there was like so Rory Gallagher was my teammate. It was immensely quick. Um, you had Philip Morrow coming up by then. Um, you know, there was a lot of other good drivers in in group end cars as well. So uh, that that rally, the the Pirelli rally that year was uh, a, a great a great battle actually. And and we had quite a lot of problems on that rally. I mean, actually, early on, I was sort of lying third behind Mark and, and Gwyndaf and and they both had subsequent problems. But I mean, we we had we lost the clutch early on, so we were having to start on the key. Um, it still had a key, actually. It still has a key. Um, so it was starting on the key. And then we had, uh, we actually lost the sump guard, would you believe? that It was a new car and it fitted a quick release sump guard and it released quickly, mid-staging Kielder. <laughs> So we did, uh, I don't know, three, three or four stages with no sump guard, which in Kielder is not ideal. Um, yeah, various problems we had. But anyway, it, it sort of came down to a, to a battle between Mark and I for the last couple of stages, like a head-to-head battle after he'd had punctures and uh, um, managed to come out on top. Um, and that, yeah, that was quite big for me to actually win against, um, you know, established drivers in, in similar cars and, David Higgins and, and Rory were both in the same team with the same cars. So, you know, we had three good cars and, and our car was very good. Don't get me wrong. We had a, we had a very strong car, but um, it was definitely, uh, yeah. I mean, that probably that, that one rally is still the one I would choose. It was nice, nice to win the track rod that year, my home rally. Um, but the Pirelli, just because of the strength of the competition will be the one that always stands out for me. Um, and it was just, it was nice to get a, a good crack at the British Championship um, with a good car uh, and, and be able to do the times. I mean, it's it's ironic. From the outside, these things always look perfect. And we actually had very little testing that year. We did a good gravel test before the first rally. We never did any tarmac testing ever. You know, we, we went to Blyton before uh, the Jim Clark rally. And I remember it took me a bit of time to get up to speed with the car on tarmac simply because we'd never... I didn't have any mileage with it. And then we never tested. We did a shakedown on the Isle of Man the night before the rally on a, on a open piece of road or a closed open piece of road, whatever. Um, and that was it. You know, we never did any, any real tarmac testing. So um, it's from the outside, these things always look like, you know, when you're in a factory team, you've got everything. But uh, if, if there was one thing from that year that was a slight regret, would have just been more mileage in the car. Um, because the car was good, the speed was already there. But if we just been able to do a bit more testing, particularly in, in the wet, I mean that 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 cost cost us. Like I said, that that really hurt us. And the Manx, um, I actually just got caught out really on some 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 shiny tar. But we've been struggling a bit in the wet, and the Ulster just it was wet again. But really, the Ulster was was just one of those unlucky unlucky mistakes. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, finished the year on the track road home rally. To win that was was pretty special. Um, and yeah, like I said, I guess at the time I didn't realise it was going to be my my one and only shot at the, at the British Championship. Um, but I don't really have any regrets to that year because I, I gave it my best shot and we um, we got some good results out of it. And this led to, to a bit of work with the Lancer WRC care correct yeah that's true yeah so that led on to, to a bit of testing with the, the world championship team doing um uh, shakedown work mainly um so 
Mitsubishi by by that time it was it was obviously the end of uh, M- MRE as it was then Mitsubishi Rally Art Europe and they were sort of running the cars still the same cars but they were running them like with uh, private budgets effectively well actually 2006 I think was was the last year the factory cars uh, and then, so this would have been the MML. Yes, era. I think yeah. I think all seven was then MML, but it was the same yeah. car, still the same process. So every car did the same fifty kilometer per transmission shakedown. Every car went to Myra, did hundred miles, or sorry, hundred kilometers, fifty k's on one transmission, change transmission, paddle shift, everything else, fifty k's on the other transmission. So yeah, all six and all seven uh, did quite a lot of shakedown mileage with those cars. Um, and the odd test as well. So it was quite nice to, um, yeah, to actually get a, a bit of mileage in those. Actually, even at Myra, when when it was a gravel car and you're on gravel tyres, hooning around Myra on gravel tyres was just like, and they used to bolt on brand new tyres. And I'm like, boys, I'll bring some old ones. Can I just have the new ones? Just put some old ones on it. We don't have any old ones. You can't put new tyres on it to go around here. And then the scrap within like 20 <laughs> or 30 years, it's just like, that's that's just, that's wrong. That's not, I, I didn't work for me that one but um yeah it was it was interesting to spend a bit of time with you know what, what was still a, a proper team and 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 see actually the potential in that car as well you know it, they obviously the all four car was somewhat difficult but the all five car was a was a big step forward and they ran that as a, a passive car if i remember rightly ready for all six when active was banned um but they never they never got the green light for the 06 homologation and you know the Mitsubishi money was running out by then and it was it was a shame because that car had uh, a lot more potential in it than than was probably ever ever seen really and you know driving at those two litre WRC cars were, were fabulous to drive just so much torque so much grunt um, and and obviously you know, they were used pretty effectively in private hands. I remember shaking down Andrew Nesbitt's car that, that won Donegal, you know, so Andrew and Mark Higgins drove two cars over there and I definitely shook down Andrew's car. I can't remember if I shook down Mark's car, but, um, you know, to take those cars to Ireland at the time and compete against the, whatever they were, the, the S11s or S12s even by then, and it showed how good the cars were, but I guess you also had a effectively the factory team turning up with a factory car as opposed to, Pro Drive's customer department turning up with a with a customer car, but um, yeah, they they were they were um, brilliant to drive, and and I think it's just a shame that they didn't quite get the development that they should have had because it, it could have probably put Mitsubishi a lot uh, a lot higher up the order uh, for a while than than actually happened. It had a lot of great concepts and great ideas that carried. It was yeah, truly something that we didn't just get the full length of time it deserved perhaps to to see it through yeah i think it just like i said it needed more money behind it there was a lot of good ideas in it um but it just needed more money and more more development and just just never never did get that i mean the last the last upgrade they did never did get run i don't think it's ever been run um you know it was never homologated and and so it just it just sat on the shelf in rugby and and i can't remember exactly what what the upgrade was now but well it, it was a you know full car upgrade for I think if I'm right in saying it was for 06 and it 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 never did, even in 07, never did get the light of day because it was never homologated. It needed the factory to homologate it and uh, it, it never did get that. Um, but the, the, the one thing I remember about that 
got to get the years right here, was that, and I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of this, but the Abu Dhabi money nearly went to to rugby. And uh, I remember seeing seeing the car in the Abu Dhabi livery and Mitsubishi had pulled out officially by then and Abu Dhabi would only sponsor the team if it was the Abu Dhabi or the Mitsubishi Abu Dhabi World Rally Team, whatever it was, and Mitsubishi just would not give permission to use Mitsubishi in the title or wouldn't enter as a, a factory team, even though it was Abu Dhabi money. Um, and it got as far as livery in the cars up. Um, there was promotional material issued and everything else. And then they pulled the plug because they they couldn't come to an agreement in the end. Um, and then apparently the money headed towards Banbury, but um, a well-known team in Banbury didn't want to paint the cars a different colour. And so the, the money headed north and, uh, and ended up in Cockermouth. I mean, 25 million is the, the, the figure I've heard banded around, which, which, was, which, was, which would have done quite a lot even then, let's face it. Um, and you're right. I mean, I think this cropped up in a gravel crew conversation once a few years ago, and I think you commented on just how close it came to, to coming off. You know, I mean, the cars were liveried up and the Monty transport readied, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was such a shame because... Uh, again, I think that would have also involved that update for the cars as well. Um, yeah, just one of those what what could have been really. It would have been nice to have just seen that that development carried through on it and 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 the cars out there competing properly. I mean, they did end up competing that year. Uh, Tony Gardermeister drove one a couple of times. Uh, Chevy Pons, if I remember rightly, um, but yeah, wasn't wasn't quite what it could have been. Also, the coolest wing this side of an Escort Cosy as well. That's the hill I'm dying on. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it definitely divides opinion, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think they're pretty cool. I do think they're a cool car. And the noise, the noise they made as well was so so unique. Mm. Um, it, you could tell, yeah, you could tell it was that car coming without uh, without even seeing it. There is a, a great video, as you mentioned, Andrew Nesbitt. I was only watching a clip of him from Donegal a few weeks ago, and it's like it's drowning with rain, and this thing is coming on the limiter at full chat past with Nesbitt at the wheel. And it's just, yeah, it's an amazing noise. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting concepts in that car. Like the aerodynamics in that, that time were so advanced. A lot of stuff that no one really could have saw again in terms of concept until relatively recently, barring maybe a couple of Lorio cars with the to focus um, Evo perhaps but um, yeah in terms of the charges and, and front bumpers and stuff a lot of different aero concepts that were quite quite well ahead of everything else at the time yeah yeah there absolutely was like you said particularly in aero and um, yeah and just various concepts on the car really um, but but like we said you just need money to carry them through and just mm. to, to, to see that development continue I remember the first time um, they had the rebound control dampers in it, and he just drove it. And so the as soon as the um, as soon as the damper was unloaded, it would drop ten mil, like just just effectively drop it. And uh, it just sounded like everything was loose in the car. I remember I remember saying to the engineer, "What's wrong with this thing?" And he's like, "No, no, don't worry about it. That's that's the new damper." And I'm like, "Is it really? Okay. All right. It just sounds like all the rose joints are." knackered on it when we just started out but that was the, the new boss damper spec they were testing at the time and uh um yeah and even the, the dampers were quite interesting because so they went to boss 
in France, which Citroen had used a lot. I mean, go back to the C2, that was on, on boss dampers, but it was boss dampers that ProDrive really struggled with when ProDrive kind of lost the way on development of the uh, the S12. You know, a lot of that was down to the boss dampers, but they never, for whatever reason, you know, the the, the spec, the Mitsubishi used worked, uh, worked very well. I mean, we actually tested them on the Group N car. We tested boss back-to-back with Ryger and had some really good really good results actually but um anyway they didn't want to spend spend the money on they'd already got the Riga so we so we stuck with the Riga but um yeah uh it was it was an it was a good insight into how a, a factory team works even though all the funding wasn't there necessarily at that point the team still ran in the same way they still had the same systems in place like I say say the same um shakedown program the same test programs that kind of thing you know it, it uh it was nice to get some some mileage and, and learn a bit about a, a proper car fantastic stuff um so to bring things to well i was gonna say to, to the current but also back to the 90s as we always are um <laughs> n555bat is is your own impreza 555 um and this is a car with a very interesting history even for an impreza 555 Am I correct in saying this is the the one that Oriol drove in '96 on his enforced sabbatical? Yeah. Uh, well, two things: it's not mine any longer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, I I sold it uh, sold it sold it recently. Um, but um, yeah, I mean the number plate anyway. Um, the group it is are quite interesting when you when you look back, and it's actually very very difficult to work out what chassis did what rally um the registration numbers easy enough to work out but i mean i'm sure anybody listening to this, this is going to be no surprise but um the group eight days like the group four days before that um number plates were just swapped around you know number Not plates and, yeah yeah you know that if you if you look at the cars pro drive ran uh you know let's say 10 cars, dozen cars for, for that year, but there was only maybe three or four number plates in rotation. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of working out that um, they probably weren't the same chassis. And uh, uh, yeah, that was just, just how things, how things worked then. Um, and like I said, it, there was by 96, the chassis pretty much only did one or two rallies um, because by then the, the customer team was, going very well like pro drive all stars and then they had customers wanting group a cars so so literally the, the rallies would do the cars would do maybe one or two rallies as a factory car literally go and get refreshed refurbed and then they were built as a, a customer car um and then given a, a different identity um often at the time a a new identity as it were not that then creates interesting issues now when uh, you've got a private car, but actually if you can trace its history back, it it almost certainly has works history and what was its works history. So um, researching the, the history of Group A cars and particularly Group A impresses at the minute is, uh, um, yeah. It's, Tricky uh, business. Yes. Good, well put, yes. There's yeah. one to say that Australia <laughs> seems to be particularly notorious in that respect as well. Um, yeah, I'll not, anyway. not say too much on that one. No, no, so, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think actually that one's been sold. 
And then there was another one from Australia, the one that came up at auction. Did you see the one at auction that came up with no, had some a lot of parts missing? Very original car, mm. been sat for like 20 years, but has a lot of the original parts missing. Um, but that's now in the UK as well for uh, restoration. So they're all, um, yeah, there's very there's very few unrestored ones out there now. Um, there's a couple still in private hands been used, but, um, you know, they don't get any cheaper to run, that's for sure. Um you need deep pockets to run them and it, it it scared me to run it quite honestly transmission wise engine wise um when i first bought it it was when i stopped rallying regularly you know i i sort of said to dad at the time if there's one car i wanted to just wheel out once or twice a year then then that's what it that's what i wanted and that's and that's what we did but that once or twice a year became more more and more painful quite honestly because like i said you just you just don't run one of those things um cheaply no and uh you need um or just you need to be prepared to spend if you want to to run one regularly um and like i say when we first bought it it was a rally car but by the time you know the last couple of years obviously the interest in them has changed and it, it um it just got to the point where it was lovely to have it very thankful to have it very thankful to do it do everything i've done with it um do i miss it yes do i miss the headaches no honestly um like i said beautiful car to own beautiful car to have but it did scare me to to even you know to to use it and of course when you drive it you want to use it i mean i, I tried to drive it properly whenever i had a go in it but um yeah uh, like i said i look back on it fondly but um as much as i miss it i don't miss the headaches that mm. came with it what is the headaches of, of running a Group A in Pretz in the modern day? Without the obvious question or, or the obvious answer of, of the expense, but is there what, what are the what are the pitfalls of modern day Group A in Pretz ownership? It's, it's just a what if, really. And, and funnily enough, things have changed a bit and, and are changing because obviously there's so many legacies out there now mm. in, in uh, historic rallying that, that most stuff has now been re-engineered. Mm-hmm. Because obviously a lot, a lot of the legacy carried over to the impressors, so you can actually get most of the parts. But it, but it is the cost of them. You know, the obviously the uprights. The well, there's obviously no standard carryover, so so the uprights are a fortune. You know, I remember buying a pair of rose joints for it that that were, uh, sorry, a pair of track ends that were eye-watering because the fabricated track red ends you know you know they just had some hairline cracks and it's like well yeah you could weld them up and i'll just get some new ones and it's like what um so just let's say i had three noughts on the end of a for a pair of uh, track red ends and um uh, the gearbox parts you know if a gearbox self-destructs that's probably the big worry magnesium casing um I believe somewhere in Eastern Europe, there's maybe even somebody doing the casing now and you can get gears, but that gearbox was £40,000 in 1996. Um, and I imagine if you set them to build one from scratch today, it isn't going to be any cheaper. Um, engine parts, like proper engine parts, are getting rarer and rarer. You know, yes, you can get things remade and you can have group air heads um, built now and everything else, but uh, yes, of course, all these cars have had a life, and 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 they've all parts have been repaired, repaired and replaced. But but you want to try and keep it as original as you can. And obviously, the more the more you run something like that, particularly an original car, then the more you, you're getting away from 
from what it was originally. If it's a new build car, like a lot of the legacies now, then then that's a bit different. But um, uh, turbos, can't get turbos. The original IHI turbo was only done for pro drive. Um, and, and again, there isn't even the bits around to rebuild them anymore. So um, there's, uh, yeah, a number of parts that, that, that are quite rare. Thanks so much for, uh, for for taking the financial hit for showing it these last few years. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, I I uh, I loved having the car. I loved doing stuff with it. Never did as much as I wanted because, like I said, I would like to have done some bigger rally, some longer stuff with it. But um, yeah, uh, didn't uh, didn't quite work out like that. You might feel the same way, but it doesn't do to to judge the passage of years on your interest in rallying by a given car, in this case, an Impreza 555, because still, for me, that seems, if not a modern car, it's certainly, you know, it should be current. I swear I should be able to go to any, you know, national rally and see Impreza 555s, you know, blatting around, but no. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's that's the thing. It's... Uh... Yeah, tw- what 20, 25 plus years old now, and uh, twenty. Well, yeah, even more. I mean, well, nearly thirty years really since the the Group A and Pretza came out. Um, and like you say, the uh, well, Impreza were just a thing for a long time, weren't they? And and, and now actually, the newest Impreza's uh, what ten years old or whatever. So um, yeah. It uh, yeah it reminds you reminds you reminds you that time's passing quite quickly. Scary maths. <laughs> well, when you consider that even even in terms of group N and Betzes, which are once a staple of you know of any age, not even a GC eight, but you yeah. go to rally now and you don't see you know uh, later GDs and, and uh, GD group N cares uh, around so much anymore. You see, you feel the passage of time. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a surprise to see one now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, and even, you know, and it's funny, like uh, even the Evos, you see it now. So um, we touched on it earlier. I have that Evo 9 from 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 2006, the car that I drove two cars that year, but the car that I drove, well, in fact, it was the rally car. I did some testing with another car, but it was the car that I drove in the rallies. Um, and uh, even now for Evos, trying to buy parts for Evo 9s. You know, just so, so rare to get Evo 9 parts now. They're so much more expensive than they were. Um, you can't buy an engine for one because Evo 9 engines have gone into every other Evo known to man. Every Evo 4 out there has got an Evo 9 engine in it and uh, um, body panels and things like that for, for something that was, I don't want to say read, readily available, but there was plenty of parts around and suddenly, you know, suddenly they've just dried up. Um even even when the Nevo's getting a, a lot harder than it ever was. I was chatting to someone lately who's gone from Group N Evo to uh, an R5 Fiesta, and he reckons it's actually as cheap or, or as expensive as where you want to look at to actually run an R5 car in terms of getting parts for it compared to the purchase price. Obviously, it's bigger. He said he's finding it more difficult than more difficult by the day to get Evo bits like so. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the the R five bits, you can you can buy them and and lots and lots of parts around. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the R five thing's quite interesting. I mean, it's been an incredible formula for rallying. I mean, it's just mad when you look at the number of cars around. I mean, what we up to nearly four hundred Fiestas, similar number of Scorders out there. Um, 
it's just been a an incredible category. Um, and and likewise for those businesses, you know, for M Sport, I mean, the, as a business model, the R five car has just been been amazing. Um, but I think I think likewise, there's a lot of people buying early R five cars that look at them. They're not obviously they're not affordable, but they're they're they've fallen into a price bracket where people can buy them. But uh, I think again, it's like any rally car; it just depends how well it's been maintained. And there's a few people out there buying early R five cars that are actually finding that you know that they're, they're having to spend big on them because the maintenance just hasn't hasn't been there over the last few years. And that's obviously what you're always up against with a a used rally car. You're up against how well it's it's been maintained. Well, um, and in terms of more recent competition, again, um, the East African Classic Safari Rally is something you've got a, a fairly long-standing history with, and successfully last year you, you won it outright. Am I right? Uh, yeah, we're back a little further now. Twenty seventeen, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, five five years ago, is it now? Um, well, the last few years have been a bit of a blur, of course, uh, but uh, you know. Everything that's been, yeah, quiet. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. thanks to, for giving me the excuse there. <laughs> to, you know. to Jamie, it has only been last year. He's, he's, yeah, but yeah, I've done I've done Safari five times now. Um, or to put it another way, spent forty days rallying in Africa now. Uh, and it's yeah, that's definitely a rally that's that's got under the skin. I mean, I've I've done it more core driving than I have driving, and and the last couple of times I've done it core driving just because the opportunity hasn't been there to drive, but. It's one of those rallies that, quite honestly, at the minute, I'd still rather go and compete than, than not compete. And uh, and as much as core driving isn't really my thing, that you know the opportunity is there to, um, uh, I guess, well, in simple terms, be be paid to core drive on it. Um, so it's it's an amazing rally, amazing experience. You know, you're doing hundred mile stages. It can be anything from lush green mountainous terrain to to soft sandy red african soil that that um that we've seen on safari we're doing a lot of the original safari stages that we used in in the proper old wrc days um, and yeah, that black cotton stuff the uh yeah the volcanic stuff that is quite interesting if it's wet i mean if it's dry it just looks like gray soil but if it's wet it's just ridiculously slippery um and obviously running hard compound tires because you're normally doing long stages so if you do hit and that can be mid-stage. You might only have like five k's of wet gravel, but if you're on the black cotton and on a hard compound tire, it um, yeah, it is just like ice. It's like hitting ice almost. Um, but just the like I said, that the chance to do it really is a, a proper safari experience, um, and quite a lot of the characters that did the original safaris are still around the event. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to get to know Fabrizio Pons quite well through through doing that, and uh, and I genuinely class Fabrizio as a friend now through through doing that rally. And uh, she was brilliant. The first first time I did it, I did it core driving, and, and she was like mother hen with me, like just uh, right here, come here, sit down. This is what you do. And uh, for anybody who knows Fabrizio, she's um, a school teacher would be a good explanation of how. Fabrizio likes to control things and uh, she was she was amazing for me the first time I did it. Um, and again, just to hear obviously her her stories of the original safaris, not only with, with Michelle Moodson, but with Piero Liatti as well. And um, and then she's obviously sat with Ari Vatten and all these other drivers. 
still competing regularly now. Um, Two, I remember sitting next to um, a guy called Lofty Drews one night at dinner, and and he called off for Minari and the Stratos, and he was telling me the story about running the spare wheels on the roof, and and then um, Fiorio didn't want to run two spares towards the end of the rally because he hated the look of the car, and then they got two <laughs> punctures, and and he ended up borrowing a marshal's car to drive out to the service van to get a wheel to drive back into the stage to fit to the Stratos, and. Just oh, I love all these stories, you know. I've been brought up with rallying to to having having never been to Africa to now almost been a, a, a Kenyan regular and uh, and like I say, hearing these stories and experiencing some of what went on in the old uh, iconic safaris is uh, is lovely and and the the classic safaris are challenging itself. You know, we do um, about fifteen hundred competitive kilometers. Um, Long stages, you stay in game reserves on an evening, so you see some amazing animals, uh, some tough rallying, but um, you know some great characters around the rally as well. So uh, very different in terms of uh, my rallying, but I have to say it's a, it's an event that's just just got under the skin. I love going back to. I suppose it's probably pretty safe to say then that one can't really truly be prepared for what safari is like to experience and even with you know like yourself a fairly uh you know big background in rallying and a long career in the sport to then go to that event must be still a completely different experience or or can you can you be some bit prepared or is it still a complete change it is it is different and you know funny sorry don't make a name drop here so when you're in team like you know so Stig Blomquist been around the team for for most of the times I've done it and I remember Stig saying to me he said uh in in 17 this was he said uh if you can finish the rally without getting out of the car you'll get a good result and what he meant was don't get stuck don't have a puncture don't go off um and if you get from the start of the rally to the finish without ever getting out of the car on stage you'll be all right. I've never managed it yet, but um, I get, I get his point. <laughs> um, and, and again, to, to be around somebody like Stig, you, you see how he was, he didn't do it this year, but I mean, he was 70, I think 71 or something the last time he did it. And his speed on a long distance rally like that was still there. He, he was never the fastest. He started on the first day, you know, he'd normally be like bottom end of the top 10, and he just keep his pace, and then day by day by day, as other people fall off, have problems, he would just. And by the by, the last day, he was always there competing for the for the win. Um, you know, and I forget how many times he said he'd been there. Yeah, I forget nineteen seventy one or something was the first time he went there. And and again, listening to Stig turning up with a Saab ninety six that had never been to Africa before. You know, Swedish team going to Africa for the first time, and he said. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a shock, a bit of a culture shock, as you can imagine, just things like suspension, just the things they broke time after time after time until they learned how to build a car to withstand Africa. Um, and yeah, just brilliant stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, chatting to somebody like Derek Dornsey, who's obviously a big part of Ken Block's operation now. And, and Derek was, um, you know, one of the main men in the middle of the Mitsubishi team when, when they were winning Safari year in, year out. And, listen to some of his stories. Uh, I remember chatting to George Donaldson, um, not necessarily on the classic safari, but just after I've been to safari, chatting to George about the old TTE days when when he was out there for 
months with TTE based in their workshop in Nairobi and they'd, they'd literally have a test team out there for, for practice, practically six months. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing the stories about the Stratos, you know, the picture of the, the Stratos body that, that was sat um, with the dogs in it. Yeah, outside um, yeah. for gener- yeah. De- decades. Yeah, 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 and that was that was uh, eventually eventually restored. And even there was another safari car that was left out there, uh, sold locally, and that became the the second checkered flag car when when the checkered flag car was written off, I think, by Tony Pond, and they needed to reshell it, and the shell came from from Kenya. Um, so all just all these uh, yeah stories you you pick up and hear. It's great. It's because we all, you know, probably all know our own bits about rallying and, and we all like rallying history and whatever. But of course, you go there and it's just a whole new world of stories that you've never heard before. And it's if we look back at the history of the WRC, obviously, Kenya is a massive part of it. And so to uh, to actually go there and, uh, and learn a lot about it has been, um, yeah, it's been like a, a bit of a second career, if you like, in there. It's been a very special, wonderful stuff. And I suppose that leads us, you know, into a, a similar, in some ways, another rather grueling uh, rally, which we probably need to mention. Um, your result in the the RAC uh, last year uh, in a in a, a Porsche, which is obviously something you that you was quite effectively in Kenya. Um, but again, another, you know, it's it's uh, it shares some characteristics with safari in terms of its you know it's it's an extended format rather grueling event but that one must be pretty proud to to have on the cv yeah absolutely and i have to say going into the rsc i mean to win would have been a dream but it i never really obviously a hope but i didn't really ever going into that with any expectation that we could win um so with Safari, I've always been competing with with Team Totilla over the last, um, well, five Safaris, 10 years now. I do a lot of work with them with, with driver coaching through their ice, ice driving programme in the winter. And um, the RAC was just for me one of those rallies I wanted to tick off um, while I'm still competing. It was one of those events I wanted to do. Um, whilst I was involved with Tuttles, it seemed like a, a good opportunity. And I just literally asked Richard, uh, at the start of last year, right, I'd like to do the RAC. Will a car be available? And he's like, yeah, we'll sort something. And and literally that was about the end of the conversation until it got to about August time or whatever it was. And then it was like, well, which car? Uh, and we ended up using one of our ice driving cars. So it's a seasoned veteran of something like 12 years of ice driving. Um, so she wasn't a, a purpose-built lightweight racer. It was just uh, the... The car that was available really it got an ex-safari engine in it and and i have to say richard was was fantastic um it was it was effectively whatever parts are around then then off you go crack on and make the best of it so the engine was a uh, yeah it'd come out of a, a safari car from the 2019 safari or whatever it was and uh and off we went and we knew we'd have a strong reliable car um it was probably about that particular car, 200 kilos heavier than the Escorts, I reckon, somewhere in that region, um, with sim- similar horsepower, but just substantially better traction and um, bomb-proof reliability. And, and my aim for the rally was always to to do my own thing, really. I wanted to finish the rally. I wasn't 
you know, I don't know how many times I'll do the RAC rally. I don't even know if I'll do it again. Um, so my plan was always to finish it. It was always to go as fast as I felt was comfortable to go with that car, wherever that put us. Um, so we were sort of lying pretty comfortably fourth from the start. And, you know, we were there for a long time till, um, till people fell out ahead of us and, uh, you know, and, and all credit to, to the guys in front, we, we weren't going to match their, their speed. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I went, I went with the idea of finishing, went with the idea of being consistent. As I said, we knew the car would be reliable, which it was, you know, it was, it was perfectly reliable. And then, and then couldn't quite believe it, it played into our hands and, you know, we, we came out winning it. It, it was a bit of a, a bit of a dream come true that it, that it, uh, it came our way the way it did. Um, I mean, subsequently with the boys in the workshop, they're like, right, well, if we go back, what we could do is, and uh, we'll build a thousand kilo car and we'll have this engine, it'll have that and it'll have, yes, yeah, but I'm not sure where the budget is coming from to do that. So whether we'll ever go back again, I, I don't know, but uh, lovely to, to do it, lovely to do it in something different and obviously to win it was just, uh, yeah, just incredible. Were people cross that it was won by not an escort? Or... No, 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 not at all. I have to say, uh, even all through the rally, um, you know, the the reception we got with the car was was brilliant. You know, so many people just coming up saying it was nice to see something different. And, you know, you don't see many 911s rallying in the UK. So, um, and they, they are such a strong car. And, and I have to say, the first time I drove one, I don't know, 2010 or something like that, I was like, I really don't know what to do with this. I really do not do not know how to make this thing work, let, let alone go quickly in it. But obviously I've spent a lot of time in them now. And um, uh, funnily enough, a, a well-known uh, Irish driver who drives for a Cumbrian team now had to go in the very same car earlier on this year in uh, in Sweden. Can't say any more than that. Um, <laughs> and uh, Sebastian Auger, he's been up there. He's had a go when he's been up there testing. And and quite a few of the guys have called in. Just They're just different. They're just good fun. You know, you have to, they really make you think to drive them. And, uh, and I very much enjoy driving them. And no, to, to answer your question, everybody was, uh, everybody was really, really um, pleasant on the RAC. And, and I have to say, uh, you talk about memories that will live you. We came out the last stage having having won the rally and I would say every chase car crew was stood by the chase car crew. They're a thing in the past as well anyway. <laughs> but um, I would say, you know, all the, all the service crews at the side of the road on the last road section were all there out clapping and whatever. And, and that'll live with me for, for a long while. Um, it was, uh, yeah, very, very special to do it. And um, to, to have a, a safari and an RAC, albeit the, the classic versions is still, uh, something that I probably would never have uh, dreamed of doing, especially as it's like I said, it's almost uh, a second career. Really, this is almost in my uh, semi-retirement. But these these have kind of come my way, so um, I certainly didn't uh, didn't expect that to happen. Probably five six years ago. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, I don't want to take up too much uh, too much more of your time. Thank you very much for uh, for being so generous with your time and and talking about such cool stuff in such detail no good to good to talk to you it's uh it's a while since i've actually been through it all now so uh yeah yeah good to chat well thank you i did i didn't realize it had actually been two hours now so yeah thank you very much for for giving us all that it's been great and if anybody makes it to the end of the two hours well done 
<laughs> we'll split it up to, to make it a bit easier on them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks very much for your time. And um, we'll talk to you again soon, Ryan, hopefully. Will do. Will do. Thanks for asking me. Thank you. Take care, mate. Well, that brings us to an end of episode seven of Rally DNA. Join us again in two weeks' time where Jamie and I will talk to another interesting character from the world of rallying. Thanks for all your support so far. Thank <laughs> you.